We're studying through the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. We noted that Joseph typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the main ways he typifies Christ is in his states of humiliation and exaltation. So we took a jump from Joseph to Jesus to consider Christ in his states of humiliation and exaltation. Last week, we said that the stages of Christ's humiliation were like steps going downward. His conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary in his incarnation, his coming through her birth canal nine months later, his life of suffering, his cruel death upon the cross, and his burial. This is the humiliation of Christ and through it in the face of a torrent of sinful opposition he won the salvation of his people. Now we will consider Christ's exaltation using various scriptures. The first stage of Christ's exaltation was his resurrection. He lay dead in the grave for three days. Yes, he was dead. Some have tried to suggest that he only fainted. How is it then that so many intelligent people and dear friends were deceived and believed him to be dead? The spear thrust alone would have killed him. Some say the disciples stole the body and then publicly declared with a loud voice, he's risen from the dead. But would frightened and faint-hearted disciples steal the body of Jesus and then suffer and die in martyrdom for a lie? The truth is, Jesus told his disciples repeatedly that he must die at the hands of sinful men and that three days later he would rise again. He himself said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. So the first stage of Christ's exaltation was his bodily resurrection, and in it, he was completely vindicated. It must have been a most joyful thing for our Lord to have risen from the dead. For three years of public ministry, he had been tempted by the devil and attacked by evil men who accused him of such things as blasphemy and doing the works of Beelzebub. In essence, they were saying, you are a big, fat liar. 
You're a fake. You're a fraud. But when he rose from the dead, he was completely vindicated. He was proved right. And all the world was proved wrong. Romans 1.4 says that it was by his resurrection from the dead that Jesus Christ our Lord was declared to be the Son of God with power. He had claimed to be God. The resurrection declared it to be, be so to the world in power. As the second Adam, he came to free God's people from the guilt of their sin with his perfect righteousness. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law and his resurrection declared that it was done. Up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. And because he was personally sinless, fully righteous in every respect under God's righteous law, the grave could not hold him. It's reserved for sinners who deserve death. And so after three days, and according to the scriptures, he burst forth out of the grave. Now, if you think we've been through a lot, with our election process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't it have been something to have lived at the time of Christ's crucifixion? We would have been on the Emmaus Road with just like the Emmaus Road disciples with our tails between our legs thinking, oh, we had such hope that he would be the one to save Israel. All that's dashed now. But his resurrection declared that he fully paid the penalty due to God for our sins. Christ on the cross looked as defeated as anyone who has ever lived. He looked more like a lie, more like a fake, more like a fraud And his resurrection proves that that cross is our glory. It says that cross is your glory. His love was so infinite toward us in that he satisfied God's justice on our behalf with his blood. The resurrection is what declares it's finished. The sin debt has been paid in full. And so when you feel guilty, when I feel guilty because of my sin, we can look back at the resurrection and say, God took my guilt upon himself on the cross and I am forever forgiven. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to do it? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, 
He was raised. Everything that the God-man did for you and me in his humiliation to save us worked. It worked. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those through who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, we're not slaves anymore, are we? Because of Jesus, death is nothing more than a wet noodle. Because of Jesus, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 20. And all those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in sin and unbelief with him. Hey, what if it was during our own day of COVID and political upheaval in our country and world? that Jesus had lived, died, and rose again, I dare say we would rise above all these things in the, in the joy of the Lord and in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would be like the Emmaus Road disciples when the risen Christ broke the bread. Our eyes would be opened to the larger story going on and our hearts would burn within us. The second stage of Christ's exaltation was his ascension. For 40 days after his resurrection, Christ showed himself to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. And since his earthly work of redemption was completely done, it was time for him to go home to his father in heaven. Luke 24, beginning at verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Luke, in the Acts of the Apostle, adds chapter 1, beginning at verse 8, with the Great Commission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go 
into heaven. Glory to God. Glory to God. They commissioned, they were commissioned by him. They were commissioned and they saw him ascend physically. He retained his physical body and full manhood. He is even now as we are. Glory to God, the God man, our king and our savior is ascended to the right hand of his heavenly father. And when he ascended, God's word said he gave us gifts to exercise through the power of his Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4 8. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men so that his church, his visible body on earth, could thrive as a people in love with one another and be his witnesses to the world. Ephesians 4.8 is a quote from Psalm 68 where the victor king is shown ascending a mountain with a train of captives behind him. He's, he's, he's a victor king. He's climbing this mountain and behind him are all his spoils of war. This is a picture of Christ ascending to heaven as a conquering king with a train of captives behind him. These captives that Christ secured were from Satan's kingdom and they were purchased with his own blood. And God's word teaches that these were the ones that Christ came to save, you, me, and all who would ultimately believe in every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Do you believe in Jesus Christ fully for the forgiveness of your sins? You'd better. His ascension back to glory was one of great triumph because he had alone finished the work of redemption and guaranteed its outcome. And now he has commissioned his church to glorify him in bringing about that guaranteed outcome. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Just imagine, what if, what if, brothers and sisters, Pentecost had happened in our own day and experience? I'll tell you what, we would be caught up, that's what, we would be caught up in a greater story, the story of God. We would be caught up in this greater story, that's what, than we are with the current events of our day. 
The glory of God would be magnified in our eyes and the truth of the gospel would be to us what it really is, the dynamite of God. To bring sinners out of the kingdom of the devil and darkness and bondage and slavery into the kingdom of his beloved son and light and truth. The third stage of Christ's exaltation is in his session. Colossians 1.3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Yeah. And this word seated in the original means to be seated with authority. When a corporate board, for example, is seated with authority, they are a session. We have a session here. Our elders are a group here at SCRC called a session because we sit as a session in authority to rule over this local church, but not just the way we wanted to rule it. According to scripture. When we think of Christ being exalted to the right hand of God as father and seated. This is most important. This is the place from which he sovereignly rules all things for the sake of his church. Which is the kingdom of Christ. The resurrection is often seen as the mountaintop. Indeed, the resurrection is foundational to our Christian faith and all is lost without it. But Christ in his session is really the mountaintop. Similar to how our Lord took steps downward in his humiliation, his exaltation can be viewed as steps upward and Christ's session at the right hand of the Father is the highest step of all the last step runs out of that in parallel fashion because of it at the right hand of God the Father Christ rules as king over the whole universe for the sake of his church which is his kingdom he rules over all things but the church is his baby this is an important distinction between covenant theology and dispensationalism. Dispensationalism pushes what we call the last days to the eschatological future. Oh, I know we're in the last days. I just know we're in the last. And it says that when Christ will reign is in those last days. That's when the kingdom of Christ is yet to come and he will reign. Well, that's not true in covenant theology, which we find to be most biblical. In covenant theology, whatever strand it is, amil, postmill, in covenant theology, it is absolutely wonderful Christ inaugurated his kingdom when he came to earth in his incarnation. 
That's when he inaugurated his kingdom at the first advent. And we are part of that kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That means Jesus Christ, Lord of all, King of kings, is ruling now over all things for the sake of his gospel kingdom. We get this from scriptures that are so numerous. But I'll start with Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John, John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And John the Baptist drew a picture and said the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Jesus has been taken up to the right hand of God, having fulfilled all things, and in his Davidic kingship by his resurrection, Psalm 110 says, the authority is his. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Acts 5.31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.20 and following, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Yeah. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is all in fulfillment of Daniel 7, verse 13. Amazing, powerful, and I'll let you read it this afternoon. Christ at the right hand of God in his session is fulfilling the office of a king and as the king of kings and lord of lords, he is gathering his people together. He is also protecting them as king would and defending them. And in his session, he is also fulfilling the work of a priest as he makes continual intercession for us as our mediator and priest. And believe me, if anyone has ever prayed anything and it's been answered, all of his prayers get answered. He is our advocate. And he will not let us down in the fight. It glorifies him when we suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ on earth. And no matter what we go through, no matter what it is, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. You know, when Stephen was being martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ, 
Things were a little touchy. <laughs> he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. He saw not Jesus sitting, but standing at the right hand of God. He said to his accusers, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, that means the Sovereign One from the book of Daniel, at the right hand of God. Well, the fourth stage of Christ's exaltation will be at his glorious return. The kingdom of Christ began in his first advent when he came to earth, and it will be consummated when he returns. What a day that will be. It will be a glorious day. It will be a frightening day. It will be a shocking day because when he returns, he will return as judge. Matthew 24, 30, 31. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. First Thess 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, and the context is Christ coming again. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. What a, what a frightening day. What a glorious day. He will be glorified in us. We, in essence, will be his trophies of goodness and grace and power against evil. What a testimony we have today. But we need to look uh, sort of like the disciples at the ascension. Look up and don't let people tell you, oh, you just can't be more heaven too heavenly minded or you won't be any earthly good. We know, we know what that means. We had better look up. We had better see the glory of God through the, through the eyes of faith. <laughs> So that we are strengthened and that we are faithful to Christ unto the end. He will come in flaming fire. Inflicting judgment on those who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he will usher in the judgment. Resurrect bodies. Make a new heaven and new earth. And there we who believe with all our hearts in Jesus will live forever and ever. At the consummation, those are the major things that Christ will do and we will be a part of it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.
come quickly. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now is time, the time to bow the knee. Now is the time for sinners to embrace Christ and bow before the God-man. Oh, it's a humbling thing to bow before a man, isn't it? He did it right. We didn't. He's the God-man. And we must bow the knee through faith we have these eternal blessings in Christ. But for only for a short time can we suffer for his name's sake. We don't know what the future holds. But we know who holds the future. As God in Christ sustains us and uses us as a church to gather his people. Gather sinners, moms and dads and covenant, precious covenant children. We are privileged to serve our King and our God. And this is happening all over the world without our help. Because saints from all around the world are convinced of this larger story that is going on. And God through them is bringing great blessing. Now is the time to serve God's kingdom. Seek his kingdom first. Matthew says, your king, your God, your blessed and most welcome savior. In many ways, the humiliation that Christ suffered first led to his exaltation. Our time of humiliation is the short pilgrimage that we have here on earth. And exaltation follows. That does not mean we don't have the joy of the Lord. It does not mean that the blessings that are ours now in Christ are not truly blessings. We call it the already, not yet. Such a short time. What a day that will be. Just what if? What if? That day were today. Let's pray. We give it all to you in the name of your Son, our Savior and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to go right to the Lord's Supper at this time.